Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 8th of July. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan, I am getting vaccinated today. Wait, I'm getting vaccinated today. Are you getting vaccinated today? Yeah. I'm going to see my GP today. Right. And have a chat, and if I feel good about it, I'm, I'm getting the vaccine. The AstraZeneca. I'm getting the AstraZeneca, yeah. Okay, that- I think we're doing our bit for society. Good on yeah, us. Yeah, well, you know, because of my recent birthday... I'm getting uh, the Pfizer jab. Ah. I actually rang for the AstraZeneca after that um, news from last week, and they said, "Well, you can get the Pfizer." I'm like, "All right." So you're going to get okay. this kind of you're going to have this risk conversation with your doctor. Yeah, and you know, I've said that from the beginning. I think that that's the best place to be. Chat to your GP; they know your history. If you're feeling good about it and you can give informed consent, then you can get the jab. Amazing. And um, today's briefing topic's uh, an interesting one. We're looking at the rise of vaping in schools. We've also got students skipping out of class, down the playground when they should be in lessons and also in some cases, of course, students actually leaving the school grounds for part of the day so that they can vape. It's a real issue. Sounds a bit like uh, smoking back in the day. Did you smoke at high school? <laughs> oh, look, I may have had a durry or two behind the uh, the sports shed. <laughs> well, apparently the, the vaping craze has even hit primary schools. I'm currently working with two primary schools that have had year fives who have been selling vapes to other children in a primary school. Yeah, dealing vapes in primary school. It's pretty out there. We're going to find out how bad the vaping problem has become and what should be done about it in today's briefing. First, here are the big news stories of today. So the New South Wales government is uh, putting several suburbs in southwest Sydney on notice as it seeks to contain the spread of the Delta variant in the city of Sydney. In those three local government areas, limit your movement. What we want to do is give us our best chance of making sure this is the only lockdown we have until the vast majority of our citizens are vaccinated. That's the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian uh, as she extended the lockdown for another week in Sydney, Illawarra, Shell Harbour, Central Coast and Blue Mountains. In the last two days, Jen, uh, around half the cases have come from those three local government areas in southwest Sydney. Uh, There are also concerns about high mobility in those areas and very low Testing rates. Now, you actually grew up in this part of Sydney, didn't you? I did, yeah. I grew up in Bankstown. So one of the um, the LGAs there. So the LGAs in question are Fairfield, Liverpool, Canterbury, Bankstown. Yeah, and, and there is a high kind of migrant population that maybe doesn't speak English. So there's some concerns about messaging there, maybe not being as clear as what it should be. But it's interesting that you do mention low rates of testing because if you compare the Bondi Beach area, for example, in the last two weeks, there's been about 14,500 tests conducted. Mm. Um, and that's compared with, you know, the Fairfield local government area in that same period, there was only 2,000 tests conducted. So there is a bit of a difference in testing and that's partly what's concerning politicians. So Gladys Berejiklian um, mentioned in a press conference yesterday that there are a lot of people going and visiting family and urge people not to do that. So I imagine that's a, a cultural factor as well. Well, I mean, I think that they're finding that um, the, the spread of this virus has been from household to household. So there is an indication that people are visiting family and friends in those areas. Yeah, people like their families. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, well, the health minister, Brad Hazard, said that if uh, restrictions weren't heated, it actually might be impossible to end this outbreak. If the individuals that we need don't hear Dr Chance's message and don't respond, then at some point we're going to move to a stage where we're going to have to accept that the virus has a life which will continue in the community. That was a pretty interesting comment. It was an interesting comment. It is probably more acceptable to make 
such a comment now than what it was perhaps a month ago because I've been noticing that we're talking more and more about the possibility of living with the virus in Australia because Mm. we will have to and also because we're seeing countries around the world such as the UK opening back up and choosing to live with the virus because they've got vaccination rates. So we're, we're shifting the conversation slightly now in Australia to vaccines and what getting a high level of, of our population vaccinated will mean. Yeah, it sounded like Brad Hazard went a little bit off script there and just sort of said what he was thinking. Um, but it, I think it would worry people in other states who have a much um, sort of tougher approach on COVID who've taken or made a lot of sacrifices to keep their case numbers low to think that New South Wales uh, might just give up on this outbreak, which is what it sounded like he was saying there. The president of Haiti has been assassinated in his own home. We have decided to declare a state of siege in all the country. We ask for people to stay calm. We call on the intelligence of Haitians in this difficult time. That was the Haitian Prime Minister, Claude Joseph. What a crazy story. Authorities in Haiti say the president, Geneva Moïse, was killed and his wife was injured after gunmen speaking English and Spanish stormed the presidential residence. And they normally speak French there, right? They do, yeah. Now, the Prime Minister, um, Joseph, told Haitians in a national address that the situation was under control and that the killers would be brought to justice. And Donald Trump says that he is going to sue Facebook, Google and Twitter for censoring him. We're demanding an end to the shadow banning, a stop to the silencing and a stop to the blacklisting, banishing and cancelling that you know so well. Yeah, the former president there, haven't heard that voice for a while. He announced the lawsuit from his New Jersey golf resort. Uh, He called the case, which also mentions the CEOs of the tech companies by name, a very beautiful development. Trump's got a terrible track record with lawsuits. There were dozens of lawsuits about the um, stolen election. Yeah, that's right. None of them were successful. No, I did did hear a couple of experts on this come out and say, yeah, Trump's doing what he does, which is just sue. He might not have any follow through. Yeah, he's doing his two favourite things, exactly. You know, I reckon when um, Facebook, Twitter and Google made those decisions, they probably consulted their in-house lawyers. I reckon they would have run it past them for sure. I mean, Facebook has this um, oversight committee that they refer cases up to. And the oversight board was, it was it's supposed to be this sort of independent organisation. But, you know, there's some questions as to its independence. How, yeah, how do you think um, Facebook's lawyers would go up against Rudy Giuliani? Well, I think they'd be fine now because he's been barred from practising, at least in the state of New York. But, you know, Trump's been trying to get back on social media in some way or another. Um, he launched... He launched a blog. Mm. Um, this was a few months ago, which kind of shut down just last month, I believe. Didn't do too well. No. Um, and he's also just last week, Team Trump, which is his former aide, was the one who launched this particular social media platform. It's called Getter. It's supposed to be an alternative to Twitter. Are you on it? Um, I'm not on it, no. Mm. It's it's also, you know, come up against some problems, mainly hackers being spammed by pictures of Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a very old school reference for our older millennials. You'll know what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, he hasn't had much luck in creating his own sort of platforms to espouse his opinion. The US is set to appeal a British court's decision not to let WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange be sent to the States to face espionage charges. 
Yeah, the UK Judicial Office said the right to a legal challenge had been granted and that the case would be listed for a high court hearing. So in January, a judge refused an American bid to have Assange extradited to the US. This is to face spying charges over WikiLeaks' publication of secret military documents 10 years ago. Yeah, so that request was denied on health grounds. The judge at the time said that Mr Assange would be likely to kill himself if he got locked up in a US prison. So this case is just getting even more complicated now. Yeah, and I mean, Assange has been in this London prison since he was arrested in April of 2019, and that arrest, you know, happened in very dramatic fashion. I don't know if you remember the images, Tom, but he was sort of kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy where he'd been seeking asylum since 2012, and he was dragged out by authorities and sort of put into this paddy wagon. He's been in prison ever since. And Australian basketball champion Paddy Mills will be the first Indigenous Australian to be a flag bearer at the Olympic opening ceremony. Yeah, he was confirmed as one of the team's flag bearers last night. He'll lead the team procession alongside swimming star Kate Campbell. And in other sports news, Roger Federer uh, says he doesn't know if he'll play Wimbledon again after crashing out in straight sets in the quarterfinal. And Ash Barty will play in the semi-final tonight at 10.30pm, which is awesome and kind of like early by Wimbledon standards. I mean, that's the big Wimbledon story, isn't it? It's the first time in more than 20 years that an Australian woman has made it to the Wimbledon semi-finals. The last person to do that was Gillina Dokic in 2000. So it's a moment. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And in other news uh, in sports, uh, the Australian rugby team, the Wallabies, beat the French after the clock hit 80 minutes last night. It was an absolute thriller. Um, The first of a three-match series with the French here in Australia. So very exciting for the very few rugby tragics left in this country. Yeah. Hey, I love that we just did a bit of an impromptu sports wrap there. I'm into it. (laughs) All right. In a moment, we're talking vaping in schools. All right, in today's briefing, the vaping problem in schools. There's definitely a lot of people in my school that sell vapes because they can make profit out of them. So they buy them off eBay in, in bulk and then they sell them. So that's a year 12 student who didn't want to be named, reflecting on a problem that has teachers and parents extremely worried. They're worried about the high school students illegally dealing vapes, also that more and more students are taking it up. Um, here's another Year 12 student talking about the prevalence at his school. In, I'd say Year 10, 11, 12, probably about 40%. 40%. That's huge. There are also reports that increasingly younger students are taking it up, even primary school age. It's even happening inside the classroom at some schools and it's spreading from the city to country schools. Now, Australia has relatively strict vaping laws. Nicotine vapes are illegal. Under-18s aren't allowed to buy vapes. And many say those rules are actually too strict because they restrict access to people that could use those nicotine vapes as a way of quitting smoking, which is more harmful. So what is the answer here? It's a very vexed question, and we're still learning about the real impact of vaping. Uh, Craig Peterson is getting a lot of information from principals right around New South Wales. He's the president of that state secondary principals council. Craig, how worried are you about vaping in schools? We first started uh, raising concerns about this about 18 months, two years ago. And at that stage, it was isolated to pockets of Sydney. But now it's spread right throughout the state and it's becoming a real problem for our schools and, of course, for our students and our families. So how bad is it? Paint a picture for us. We just heard from Sydney students saying it's at 40% amongst senior students at their school. 
that wouldn't surprise me, Tom. It, it is varied uh, around the state and, and between schools. Uh, and it's a growing trend. Initially, it was, you know, lots of year eight girls, single-sex schools in Sydney, but in other parts of Sydney, it was the seniors. But it's now becoming pretty endemic right across the years. In fact, we're getting reports of um, students in some primary schools who are starting to vape. The numbers are just absolutely blowing out. And part of the reason for that, Tom, is because the devices are very easy to conceal. They're designed not to look like a smoking device, but like a highlighter or a, a thumb drive. Sometimes parents don't even know what they're looking for. So we're really worried about the, the increase. And of course, that's increasing our concerns around not just the health aspects, but also student behaviour. Okay, so is this happening in classrooms, toilets, uh, in the playground? Whereabouts in schools is it happening most? Again, it varies. We're certainly getting reports of schools having to close up the toilets uh, to students and having to, students having to get a pass if they need to go during class time in particular. Supervision during recess and lunch becomes really problematic, as you can imagine. We've also got, though, really worrying reports about students vaping in classrooms because not all of the devices send up massive plumes of smoke and uh, it can be easy for a student to conceal them in the palm of their hand, particularly if they're in the back of the room and they know the teacher's preoccupied down the front. So that really concerns us for, for all the obvious reasons. But we've also got students skipping out of class, down the playground, at, you know, when they should be in lessons. And also, in some cases, of course, students actually leaving the school grounds for part of the day so that they can vape. It's a real issue. So, Craig, you've been around for a while. Do you think this is, is much worse than the smoking problem ever was? It's a different problem, Tom. Uh, smoking is a major concern for many, many years. The real worry with vaping is we've got our smoking levels at record lows. And for vapes to come into school, that particularly at this time, simply is going to reignite that nicotine dependency. We're really concerned too about some of the reports we're getting about the nicotine levels in some of the devices. And what's a real worry is a lot of parents don't realise that these devices actually contain nicotine. I've had parents tell me, well, there's no, there's no harm in them. What's the problem? The reports that we're getting indicate very high levels of nicotine in some of the devices. And that, of course, is likely to lead to a nicotine addiction in our, in our young people. So what do you know about the supply chain, Craig? Where are the vapes coming from? How many students are caught up in the supply chain, i.e. dealing? So initially it was a lot of um, almost what you'd call black market sales under the counter. Students, and this really worried us, consorting with uh, adults who were purchasing the vapes under the counter at stores, at suppliers, and then on selling them to students at highly inflated prices. And then, of course, in some cases, those students on selling again to other students at the school. So that practice in itself really concerns us because it's likely to lead to increased interaction with criminal behaviour. And we worry about what the next step in that behaviour might be beyond vapes. There's a lot of students who are buying them online uh, mm. from overseas. And, and, of course, that's a concern because you don't quite know what uh, what you're buying when you're purchasing that way. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of uh, pop-up stores appearing now that are selling vapes, not supposed to sell them to children, of course. The students still seem to manage to get their hands on them without too much difficulty at all. 
So is it still getting worse or is there any way that you've got a handle on this? I mean, where's it going to go from here? Do you have any solutions in mind? In our view, it is getting worse simply because the availability is spreading. Pretty much everyone can get one if they if they really want. The increased availability concerns us. The increased variability in the design and the content of the devices worries us. Uh, and again, when, when these are being sold in an unregulated environment, there's no way of controlling uh, things, for example, like the nicotine content or the price. And what uh, teachers and, and principals are reporting is an increased edginess in students. That's, that's the way it's been described to me. So the edginess could be from a, a couple of things. One is the nicotine hit or the nicotine withdrawal, whichever side of the fence the child's on at the time. But there's also the behaviour disruptions uh, that go along with that, with you know sneaking out of class or sneaking up the back of the mm-hmm. class or sneaking into the toilets. And that action in itself brings an edginess to a child's behaviour because they know that they're doing something wrong and that heightens their, their responses. That's Craig Peterson. He's the president of the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council. Uh, Let's go to a leading drug educator to find out more about first how big the problem is, but also how we should deal with it. His name's Paul Dillon. He's the founder of Drug and Alcohol Research and Training. Paul, you've been doing workshops in schools for many, many years. How concerned are you about what you're hearing? One of the greatest issues we have in this area is that we don't really have any hard data on what's going on with teen vaping. The latest national data in this area is from 2017, and that only gave us information on ever used, so experimental. And that was about one in five 15, 16 and 17-year-olds had tried at that point. Do you get the sense that this has become a bigger problem than smoking ever was? I was a teacher way back in the late 70s, early 80s, and certainly back then we used to do playground duty and, you know, have to walk around the toilet blocks to make sure, and I was a primary school teacher, to, uh, and we were certainly seeing primary school children who were smoking. It hasn't got to that point. That said, I'm currently working with two primary schools that have had year fives who have been selling vapes to other children in a primary school. Is it the nicotine vapes that have you most worried? Well, look, I'm getting at least two or three emails, messages, phone calls from parents who are really, really concerned about their child and their nicotine dependence. Most importantly, these are young people who have never smoked a cigarette before. They started with vapes and moved on to nicotine vapes and now are really struggling to get through a school day without vaping. So, Paul, a lot of people say that vapes are actually a good thing because they help existing smokers quit and they can have a really positive impact for those people. But obviously, we have to trade that benefit off against the risks and the dangers we create for young people that may never have taken up smoking given our smoking rates are so low. So where do you think we sit on that balance and how are our laws working? Do you think they strike the right balance? I mean, there is really this huge debate around vaping at the moment. You've got public health experts slamming the practice saying that it's a gateway to smoking and people in harm reduction arguing that this is a great option for those wanting to quit smoking. The trouble with this, like so many drug issues, are that kids, teenagers get stuck in the middle here. The vaping lobby will tell you that teens should not be vaping. But when you try to come up with any of the potential harms associated with vaping and try to push them out there, you kind of get attacked. 
The trouble with vaping is, I mean, you only have to go on to YouTube and have a look at a few videos and realise that it looks pretty darn cool. I'm a much older person and when I look at uh, some of the tricks that young people can do with a vape, it looks pretty cool. I can't imagine how cool it must look for a 14 or 15-year-old. Yeah, that's an interesting point that goes to a much deeper question behind all of this, Paul. It seems for hundreds, if not thousands of years, human beings have liked smoking, breathing hot vapour into their mouths, taking it into their lungs and then blowing it out. Will this ever go away? Well, I think you've put it really well there. I mean, it's been around for a long time. Is it going to go away? Most probably not. I doubt it very, very much. What do you really think, Paul? Do you think the benefits outweigh the cost? The benefits being that it helps people quit smoking, the cost being that young people are taking up vaping in increasing numbers. I think the trouble is that we really don't know exactly how many young people are being adversely affected by vaping in the long term. We do not know how many young people are becoming nicotine dependent or whether it purely is experimentation as the vaping lobby suggests. Certainly, if it is just the vast majority of young people use a couple of times, move away and vaping becomes like a fad, which I first thought it would be like yo-yos, that it would come in and then disappear after a short period of time. It certainly hasn't gone away, but are we seeing young people being for the long-term adversely effect, becoming nicotine dependent, we simply don't know. That was Paul Dillon, drug educator. Um, As we touched on there, there does seem to be this innate urge amongst us human beings to smoke, at least some percentage of us. It's been going on for centuries. And we just started to get on top of cigarette smoking, which we know is extremely harmful. And now there's something else. And the complexity here is that, you know, it can be helpful for getting existing smokers away from the harms of smoking tobacco. But because it's new, we don't know the true cost to young people who are taking it up. Young people who otherwise wouldn't have taken up smoking because the smoking rates are so low. Now, so far, our government, with its tough laws, is leaning much more towards protecting the kids. Our TGA hasn't even approved nicotine vaping as a legitimate quitting treatment. But the problem is, because of the internet, the government can't really control the supply properly. So the tough approach doesn't seem to be working. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're taking stock on the war on plastics. Where are we up to? Listener.